0: Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Amen. Okay, so who's ready to hear the word of God this morning? Yeah, come on. Si, let's get you up because I know he's chomping at the bit. So Lord... Yeah, come on, bigger than that. Give him a big round of applause. <laughs> That's better. So, Father, I just thank you for this powerful man of God. I thank you for the word that you've planted, put into his heart this morning that is relatable for all of us. So, Father, anoint him, appoint him for such a time of this. In your precious name, amen. amen. Thank you, Claire. How do you follow a man like Andrew Nutbrand, eh? I'll try my best. So... The title of the message this morning, straight to it, is it's okay not to be perfect. Few, thank goodness for that. So David was a prime example. King David, throughout the Bible, he written a lot of the Psalms. He's also crowned as king. King David was an example of God's mercy. The main theme of today's message is to celebrate God's goodness. And to let you know that we don't have to be perfect. What a relief. Uh, And the reason why I say this is because sometimes when we feel like we're letting God down, we procrastinate. And it holds us back from living in the plans and purposes of God's will for our lives. Correct? Definitely. So which makes it paramount for us to realize that if blokes like David get it wrong and God still uses him, and God still blesses him, then we're not doing too bad, especially the fact that we have Jesus. Hallelujah. So yes, the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He was a righteous man. He was a man after... Oh, one second, my iPad's gone all dodgy. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was a righteous man. But we can take encouragement from his life. Because boy, this man got it wrong but God still loved him massively and used him. And this is a great encouragement for us that when we get it wrong, because there's people sitting in this room tonight that might have got it wrong or life might be a little bit tough right now and you might not be, well, you might not feel as though you're in the will of God due to certain circumstances, but God loves you and God will use you and you're very important to him. So all throughout the Psalms, we can see that David was a humble man. He was a righteous man. And it was clear That everything that he did and everything that he was about, God was his everything. Was David perfect? No, he wasn't perfect at all. But what we can learn from this is that everything that he did, he tried to please God. You see, God is pleased when we have faith in him. He's pleased that in life, like Sean alluded to, whether life's good or whether life's bad, that we lean on him especially when things go wrong, which is daily, we always need God. And this is the one thing, two seconds, my iPad's really playing up. Keeps jumping, right, perfect. Keeps going to the last of the page, which is not helpful. So let's look at David as a person. David was a gifted person and brave man he was a warrior he was a musician he was a man after God's own heart he was a man of God but he was also a ladies man he was also an adulterer he was also a murderer he went to war he killed people flipping even got one of his mates killed so he could marry his missus and we'll move on to that in a second he was melodramatic he was emotional he was just like us as John P said last week, some people called David a schizophrenic, but I think he's normal. I think he's normal. Sound familiar? With our over emotional road rage, with our inability to stick to a diet, with our evil lies of lusting on a daily basis, no matter what that could be, of flipping out our kids, losing our tempers, being short tempered, giving your spouse emotional, verbal, and even physical abuse. Well, none of us are perfect, but his grace is sufficient. So let's take a look at David and Bathsheba. There's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this scripture that I'm going to be sharing in just a second. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to 27. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole story, but it's going to be like a bit of a Big Mac meal. There's going to be bread on the outside, which is the word of God, And on on the inside, I'm going to give it a little bit of meat of what I feel God wants us to understand about this story. Are you ready? Fantastic. Verse 1. Might get a little bit passionate, might get a little bit speeded up because I've got a lot to fit in in this time, but I feel this is massively important. So, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the kingsmen and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabar, but David remained in Jerusalem. So straight away, we can learn something here. When we're supposed to be somewhere, but aren't, this can have consequences. Imagine knowing that you ought to be or could be in church this morning, to be with fellow believers, to emphasize, to enhance and grow you spiritually. Imagine that you could commune with him every single morning but you don't for quiet time for whatever reason. Imagine that you could or ought to spend time with your family or your spouse or even your kids but choose to be elsewhere. Notice I didn't say you should do that because it's a choice. There's a difference between could and ought and should. A lot of the time in life we're supposed to a lot of the time in life when we're supposed to be somewhere but we're not. In those times, they can have consequences. And you can look back on your life and think to yourself, when I should have been somewhere but wasn't, were there consequences? Probably. Sometimes, when we're not where we should be, this can cause us a lot of trouble. And this is what was happening with David. Verse 2. One evening, David got up out of his bed and walked around the roof on the palace, as you do. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And that woman was very beautiful. Hey, oh, David likes what he sees. One question here. Two questions. Why why was David walking on a roof looking at women in baths? Why was a woman taking a bath on the roof? And was her name Sheba, but then the Hebrew scholars changed it to Bathsheba because she was (laughs) taking a bath? We digress. That's three questions. Thank you always, Daniel, you're a very detailed man, I appreciate that. Each to their own, and that must have been the way they did it back in the day. But let's be real, David knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't on that roof for no reason. You don't go on a roof for no reason. There's a plan. Maybe this is the reason why he never went to war. Maybe it was all planned. But that plan to take a stroll on the roof was definitely not random. How many times have we put ourselves into situations where we know that we shouldn't be in a certain place with certain people at a certain time, but we do it and we push the boundaries out. But the thing is when we push the boundaries out, we give more ground to the enemy to come and infiltrate our lives and cause chaos. This is when the mistakes happen. We've all been there in life where we've been tempted in different ways. It could be a diet, it doesn't have to be sexual or having an affair like I'm gonna go into in a second. But you're being drawn something. You're being drawn out to somewhere and you're doing some things that don't edify us as humans or bring glory to God. Notice straight away that when we're not where we should be, we can quite easily get up to no good, which is where David is walking into this story right now. It's human nature and God knows this. Boredom and lack of purpose can drive us to do some idiotic and immoral things even if we're good people and we love Jesus. What was David's excuse? What was David's weakness? Well, his weakness wasn't fear or anger. He was a fierce warrior. We know that. He was out to war. He was a king. He was a leader. His weakness was lust. And the devil saw an opportunity and pounced. The devil will always use areas in our life that we're weak in to cause chaos. Be aware of that. And this is why he'll use different things with different people. Yours might be food or indeed lust, porn, sex, lust. It's pretty common and has been since the beginning of time. Maybe you're a gossip. Maybe by nature you are two-faced. Maybe you bring down others and speak ill of them to make yourself feel better for yourself, low self-esteem. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's overwhelm. Maybe it's mental health. But the devil knows exactly what he's doing when he's plotting. This is why it's so important to know who we are. This can lead us into places that we wouldn't actually choose to go in our right minds because we're squeezed, we're in our weak place, the devil knows this. Whatever your weakness, the devil knows how to tempt you. And this is why it's so important to know yourself, to know your identity in Christ. Because when the devil walks around like a roaring lion, he's not a lion, he's a dog with no teeth, he can bark. But when he walks around like a roaring lion, ready to devour... We can handle it the way Jesus handled it. He replied to the devil when he got tempted by using the word of God, the bread of life, whereas David didn't. So, for instance, if you're somebody that works in an environment or is in a friendship circle where there's good looking men or beautiful women, and this is your weakness, don't sit down at dinner time with a coffee and tell them about your problems. And open up about the problems that you're having with your family and your spouse, etc. Because I tell you what, you've got to be on your guard all the time. Because if you love these people, you've got to be careful. And this is a warning for us all. Because we are all so weak. Because if this can happen to David, the righteous man of God, this can happen to us. We need to be on our guard at all times. And the thing is, David let his guard down. And how many times have we stood there in the thick of it and thought, how did I get here? Baby steps, that's how you got there. And before you know it, you're in deep. So look at David. He's the most mentioned person in the Bible after Jesus. God is trying to show us something here. He wrote most of the Psalms, but now he's on some roof gawping at a beautiful woman. Should be at war, but he's not. He's getting up to know God. Verse 3 says, and David sent somebody out to find out who she was. And they came back and they said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So straight away, David can't plead ignorance anymore. He knows exactly what he's doing. And this actually might have been the reason why he was on the roof in the first place. He took his foot off the gas. He'd not gone to war. He wasn't where God wanted him. And this brought consequences, as we can see in verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. And now she was purifying herself due to the uncleanliness. And then she went back home again. So this tells us a little bit that if you ask me, this is my interpretation, that David abused his power as king. It doesn't seem, I might be wrong, but it doesn't seem as though this was consensual. It says that he went to her house, told him to come to my house, and he slept with her. It didn't say that they slept together. This was an act of lust and the lustful decision at best for David. Out of his boredom, his lustful mind led him astray. Now let's be honest, we've all been here at times. It doesn't have to be this. It can be any weakness in your life. We've been tempted and we've gone off track. And this is why I believe God wants us to take note here because it's easy for us to sit here and listen from a bird's eye point of view and go, can't believe David did that. But the thing is, We're all just as bad. In the thick of it, we've got so many blind spots, it's unbelievable. We can find ourselves in these kind of situations in life, so we've got to be careful. Verse 5 says, The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. Hey, oh, panic station's here. The sin has now got some big consequences. You can't cover this up. This man had slept with his mate's missus, and now it backfired. He's going to struggle to cover this bad boy up, but he's going to have a good go as we see further on in the story. David's doing what we all do and what we've all done since the beginning of time, even back to the days of Adam. He's trying to cover it up. It was Eve's fault. Oh, it was this, it was that, it was this. Now he's thinking of a master plan and a strategy to cover this up. Verse 6 says, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Hmm, I wonder what his plan is now. He might be falling man at this moment in time, but God's on the case. And this is later revealed in the later verses. Verse seven says that when Uriah came to him, David asked him, Joab, how's the soldiers? How's the war going? How's Joab? Let's be real, David couldn't give a flying thing about this. He's not bothered. He's not bothered at all. He's sweetening him up. He's fluffing, He's fluffing him up because he knows his plan. He's wanting to sweeten him up and try and get him to return home to sleep with his wife to get her pregnant so then the pregnancy can be just blamed on him Then David would be in the all clear or so he thought verse 8 says that then David sent for Uriah go down to your house and wash your feet so Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him this is where it gets interesting and the character starts to shine through with Uriah which must have made David feel terrible not to mention frustrated Have you ever been around somebody who's striving to make righteousness their mantle and they're really doing well in life? And you're not. You know you're not living the way that you should. It makes you feel exposed. It makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel a little bit irritable. And this is what would have been happening with David. Because verse 9 says, But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to the house. This is gold. This man had an abundance of honor and reverence for his God and his leader and his king. It seemed as though he was being a bit awkward or disobedient at first, but he wasn't. He was a man of integrity. Verse 10 tells us that David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, he says, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Now David is starting to panic. His master plan's failing. He needs to think quickly. Verse 11 says, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab... And the Lord's men are camped out in the contrary. How could I go home, eat, drink, and make sweet love to my wife? As you live, I will not do such a thing. This is a man of principle. This is a man of integrity. This is the man that David should have been. Don't judge him for one moment, because like I say, we can be like David. This is proving yet again that David was just a human and he wasn't perfect. And David was an amazing man. I even feel guilty bringing this up because this is a bad part of his life. But then when you look at Jesus and the way he lived, what a man, what a saviour. Everybody makes mistakes, but the great news is there's redemption. And it's okay not to be perfect, but it's not an excuse. Verse 12 says that when David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So, so, so Uriah remained in Jerusalem for the next day and the next. Think, David. Think. What's he thinking? Verse 13. And David, at his invitation, says, he, he, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. Flipping heck, He's trying to pull all the stops out of the bag here. He's trying to sweeten him up. He's trying to get him to eat Then He's trying to get him to relax. He's trying to get him drunk, the Bible says. But in the evening, Uriah went to sleep on the mat amongst his master's servant, he did not go home. This man's pulling out all the stocks. David is pulling out all the stops. He's a king. He wrote most of the Psalms. He's a leader. He's a man of God. Mate, if this is happening to David, we need to pray for our leaders. This is not out the blue. This is things that can be happening behind the scenes, and the enemy is desperate to try and bring good men, good leaders like David down this guy Uriah still even being drunk refused to go home and spend time with his wife I've got to admit if that was me I'd think well nobody will know they're all out on the field a bit hungry not seen my wife in a while Uriah he stuck to his guns David and his evil manipulative plan was failing shoot what next David's thinking verse 14 In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah when he sent him back. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah out at the front where his fighting fighting is the most fierce. Then withdraw withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. No way. So David's now plotting his murder. He's commanding somebody to get murdered so that he can cover up his steps. Verse 16 says, so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defense were. Verse 17 says that when the men came to the city and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. RIP, brother. Joab sent for David, sent David a full account of the battle. Verse 19 says he instructed the messenger, where you have finished, When you have finished giving the king his account of the battle, the king may flare up in anger and he may ask you, why did you go so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall? Verse 21 says, who killed, I can never say these names, Abakamembelebele and Jerub. It says it behind me, doesn't it? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes. why did you get so close to the wall? Basically, David's saying here, What? that's what his response would have been normally. But look at his response. When the messenger sent out, he then told David everything. The messenger said to David that the men overpowered us, they came. We pushed them back to the gates. Verse 24 says, "'The archers were shooting arrows at the, at the servants at the wall, "'and some of the king's men died. "'Moreover, your servant Uriah, Hittite, is dead.'" So he told him all of that, all of the bad news. Normally, David would have been furious. Normally. His men have died. Uriah's died. But look at his response because he knows he's covering it up. It says, David told the messenger, say to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Why is he trying to encourage Joab even though Joab's just told him his men's died? Because he knows That is off the hook, he knows that this bloke's out the way now. Verse 26 says that when Uriah's wife heard that her husband had died, she mourned for him. Here's the clincher, verse 27, coming to land there. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his ass. She became his wife and bore him a son, one that she was pregnant with. But the thing is, what David had done displeased the Lord. He hadn't got away with it. This is the thing, guys. There is forgiveness, and there may be forgiveness and redemption, but there's no excuse for the sin. God God was displeased with David, and he is displeased with sin. So when I say it's okay not to be perfect, few, that's to take the pressure off us to stop striving for something we're not. We find our strength in God. Each and every day, we find our strength in Jesus. There is no excuse. We don't have to be perfect, but we should always strive to be good people and please God. This is not what David was doing. Yes, we don't have to be perfect, but let's be real. Sin is avoidable if we focus our lives and everything that we are on Jesus. If we center everything that we do, our jobs, our marriages, our friendships, the way we act, our thoughts, what comes out of our mouth, our actions. If we focus it around God, you can avoid. David could have avoided this. He could have avoided when that seed came into his head when he was lying on his bed to get up and start walking on the roof. He's probably been on that roof a few times and seen a woman taking a bath. But he thought, I'll just just see. I'll push the boundaries a little bit. Enemy's loving this. Gotta be on guard. You see, the story doesn't end there. I've not got time to go into the next chapter, but basically, God sends... He says that the, the Bible says that David didn't repent for a year. But God sent a prophet called Nathan to go and confront David. Stood before him, told him a story about two blokes, one rich, one poor, and how the rich man, this is very paraphrasing, but the rich man told... Uh, did a number on the poor man, and he was he did him wrong, and there was injustice. David flipped his lid and says, this rich man deserves to die. It deserves to die the way he treated that poor man. And then the prophet said, no. But the, the, this is the thing that he said, the Lord spoke to David, but he spoke through the prophet. He said, no, this man is you. And when David realized that, he fell to his knees, pleaded repentance, fear the Lord. He thought he got away with it, but he didn't. There's always consequences for your sin. And what he said was, I'm going to strike, I don't know why this worked in, in God's infinite wisdom, but there's consequences. He struck the son that they had sex and made, bore the son, made him ill. And this son, the first son, ended up dying. But he said that the Lord restored David, gave mercy on David, gave David grace and they bore another son that we come to know as Solomon. Band, if you want to come up. So whenever we have done something wrong, remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I wanted to share that story this morning because, yes, it's a long story. But it's an interesting story because it's, it's a story of a man that we all know and love called David. We read his Psalms. They make us feel better. But David didn't always get it right. But there is always redemption, because we've got Jesus. And there's people in this room this morning that have probably been to a bad place of probably living a double life. You might be struggling with something really bad at the moment, at this moment in time, you might be struggling with hidden sin. You might even be having an affair. You could be abusing your partner, you could be getting up to no good, you could be struggling with road rage. It could be anything. As human beings, sometimes we can be ugly by nature. Amen? We can. We're not all saints or we are in Christ, but we're not, you know, we struggle. But the main thing to remember in all of this is we are forgiven. We are sanctified, we are set apart, and what Jesus did on that cross allows us to come back. Let's take courage from David that yes, we strive each and every day to be perfect, we try, but in our efforts, we let ourselves down and it stops us and prevents us from living the life that God wants us to live. Because we're living it wrong, we're trying to do it in our own strength. We try to live in our own strength, we're going to end up like David. Failing, miserable, burnout. There's something so special about being in church, making it to church. If you can't make it and you're online, that's completely fine, but maybe I'm speaking to someone today that could have been here. When we grow together, when we fellowship with one another, we had a men's meeting on Friday. Roderick brought a fantastic word on how to be a man of God. Uh, we had quite a few visitors coming in and these guys were impacted at the fact of how different we were at the fact of how we commune with each other Nathan, Sarah's husband he says, you know, he's dipping his toe in the water at the moment, he says I loved it he says I, I think Rod's a fantastic guy and the words that he spoke really spoke to me I said, a fine for you brother because what you bought was from God and we do, li- we do live differently but when we try and live of our own accord when we do try and do things on our own we end up doing what David did how many of us judged David this morning when we was listening to that? We probably won't get money hands, but you know in your heart you did. Oh, I can't believe David did that. Can you believe it? We, we do bad stuff all the time. We don't have to be perfect. And it's okay not to be perfect, but because we give our life to Christ, because we give everything that we are, because we try and live to please him, not religiously, but just to have relationship and love, There's redemption. We can be pulled back from those bad times. We can be pulled back from those bad habits that we're living in life. And that's the message I want to get across this morning, that God loves you. He's proud of you. There's redemption. I'll say it again. Redemption means that we are sanctified and set apart. He can bring you from where you're at right now, where you think there is no return. He can bring you back and bring you back into his loving arms. And for a bloke, you think, I don't want to be in the bloke's loving arms. God is all powerful, the creator of the universe. It's a pleasure to kneel before him and tell him that we need him each and every day. So as we sing... Our last song as we come into land now, I want to urge anybody in the room that is in a bad place right now, or maybe you did something 10 years ago that you've never actually fully repented for. Maybe this is holding you back in your journey. Maybe that there's many things that are going on. I don't know. Maybe some of the words I've said today have spoken to you and resonated with you. If they have, then as we sing the last song, feel free to come To the altar and bow down before him and fully repent this morning. Repentance is everything. Repentance means that you don't just say sorry, it means that you're making a confession before God saying, You Lord, I've done wrong, and I'm willing to be humble about this, I'm willing to come to the to the altar nobody's nobody's looking more. It, the amount of people that come before here there might be nobody but if there's people we're going to be cheering you on all the way because there's no better place of coming to your knees and saying Lord I'm sorry I'm sorry for pride I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong I'm sorry for the lustful thoughts I'm sorry that I'm not very disciplined in my life I'm sorry I don't spend more time with you I'm sorry that I prioritise things above you Lord Jesus so as we do sing this last song feel free to come to the altar to fully repent before God and say, I'm sorry and I'm going to change and I'm going to make a change and give my life, my whole life to you. And if you do want prayer, of course, there are prayer. Lin and Yuan, just here, guys, here to pray for you if you need. So let's stand to our feet, let's sing our last song about gratitude to Him.